Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Rob Gary. Rob, how are you, buddy? Great, you? Good, great week uh, overall, coming out of a strong July in the market, so people are kind of happy. Mm-hmm. Weather's been pretty good. People are kind of happy. It's it's a good news story. Everyone's on vacation, not not looking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a good it's been a good month of July. We're now in our first uh, week in uh, August, and so it's a bit shaky. Mm-hmm. More information's coming out. We're going to find out. Um, that there's more than one market that people are worried about because on the show today we're going to talk about is there a housing correction happening mm-hmm. uh, we've seen prices very volatile across the country even here in the local area of calgary and surrounding area so what does this mean for home buyers for sellers um, and it's been shaky because we've been hearing a whole bunch of cybersecurity stuff going on out there with companies what about the individual one third of canadians want to get off the internet crazy so yeah. how do you do that? Uh, should you do that? Those are the kind of conversations we're going to have today. It's going to be a great show, so you want to tune in for that. Um, Rob, we, we had a very interesting Friday morning, and I want to touch on Friday morning because it surprised a lot of people when they look at what was the information and how the markets handle it. So mm-hmm. let me paint the picture. Both countries, U.S. and Canada, announced their job numbers. In the U.S., the jobs numbers were pretty good. In fact, their unemployment rate went down. Mm -hmm. Why did the stock market fall all of a sudden? Right after that news story, bam, markets start falling. Triple digits on the Dow. Yeah. One, two percent on the NASDAQ. People got scared because of good jobs. That that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Good jobs should mean good profits, should mean companies should be making more money. Why in God's name is the market falling when we're getting good news? Uh, We're in that point now where we're potentially going to need bad news before we get good news right so if you have what we saw here on friday with amazing job numbers especially in the u.s yeah it means that the economy is looking incredibly strong and the federal banks are fixated now on the labor numbers coming in they're probably gonna have to be more aggressive on raising rates looking forward so interest rates are going up. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with the market. That's the problem. So they've, they've gone and played um, chess, not checkers. They're looking at the couple of plays ahead and saying, hang on, if the jobs numbers are good, what would be the reason that interest rates would not go up? Mm-hmm. Well, interest rates are going to go up then because we've got to slow down this, this employment boom that we're in. That means the value of this company now just changes because interest rates have gone up you can get a risk-free rate at a higher number. Why would you take the risk for that company when they're producing X dollars of earnings? And that becomes a big challenge. So you, you, you nailed it when you said, you know, we're looking for bad news in order to get good news. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's interesting. It's counterintuitive. And over the next little while, the market's looking for bad news. Right. To say, okay, we're slowing down the interest rate hike. How does this impact people who are transitioning to or living in retirement? Well, I think we have to look at a lot of things because the other word here that people are worried about coming into retirement is the word recession. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's the other side of this because the numbers that we saw here are not stating that we're in a recession. Yeah. Right? Where the numbers before we were slowing, now this is stating we don't have that data. We don't have all that data to say we are in a full recession here. So if we're not, what does that 
truly mean? Are we going to head higher? Yeah, and there's two sides of a recession when you're looking at it from a retiree's perspective. Mm -hmm. The one side is their investment portfolio, their savings, especially if they're involved in the equity market, will be volatile. So that's, that's uneasy for them. That's not right. comfortable for them. But in a recession, when you're on, on a fixed income, inflation has gone up. When you're on a set budget, inflation has gone up, you have less purchasing power. That can be an impact. Mm -hmm. But in the same part, in a recession, prices start to go down. Mm -hmm. Things become cheaper. So playing chess, not checkers, recession might be pretty good for people who are in retirement. Right. If you can handle the volatility of the portfolio, then recession might be good for a retiree. Yeah. Not so good for someone who wants to get into retirement, still needs a high income in their high income earning years. If it gets into a bad recession, job losses and so forth can right. happen. That's the risk. The risk is not for the retiree. The risk is for the person approaching retirement. And can affect how long until you say, I am retiring, right? Yeah, you might be forced to retire. Yeah. And so this is an interesting point that if we go into recession, now we're going to have this debate, how big is this recession going to be? Some are saying, get ready for a very big recession because of all this liquidity that's been in the, in the market, in the economy, and now it's going to get sucked out, and therefore we're mm -hmm. going to go into some bad shape. And that's, I don't think that's a lion's share of the people who are saying recession. It's a small minority. For the people who are calling recession, they're calling with a shallow or narrow recession. That's a technical term recession, but it doesn't feel like it. Right. And so it's going to be interesting to see over the next 12 to 18 months with all these interest rate increases, how bad of a recession if we go into a recession. If. And so the, the idea of a soft landing is what all central bankers want, but they're willing to put the economy into a recession to control inflation. I found an interesting stat on Friday's job numbers because we had both Canada and U.S. Yep. Right. U.S. is going to dictate a lot of things, the market driving factors. But in Canada, we saw job loss, where a gain was expected, mm -hmm. and wages went up. Mm -hmm. So people are making more, but don't want to work. I found that interesting. Don't want to work, or there, there's less jobs available. People are willing to cut their staff. You're right. Right, so if we look at higher income on average, wages going up, well, how do you afford a higher paid mm. employee if you're a business? You just don't hire as much. How do you afford a higher wage employee? You hire a few of them, but then fix it with the rest with technology. Right. And, and I'll use some of the fast food chains or grocery stores when we automate how to, how to order your food or to check out your groceries. You don't need a clerk there anymore. That's one of the ways that businesses are transforming to become more affordable to make a profit. At the end of the day, these businesses want to make a profit and they need to grow their profits for their shareholders. So it's not going to be, we're going to hire everybody and we're going to pay them more and everybody's going to get paid and everybody's going to get more jobs. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be an adjustment period. There's a shift happening now in the tech sector, right? You're yeah. looking at efficiencies per dollar spent. Correct. Because in the tech industry, everybody was hiring like crazy, and now they're like, whoa, redundancy. Right. That's the number one word in the, in the tech, at least, at least in the tech area in, in the United States. Right. A lot of redundancy. 
you're going to start seeing mergers and acquisitions to, to grow because you can't organically grow in, a, in right. an economic slowdown. So this shift that's happening is going to impact individuals that don't have the skill that separates them from their, their competition. And this is the one th piece of advice we got from Warren Buffett many years mm -hmm. ago about dealing in a recession. The only way an individual or a company can get out of a recession themselves about high inflation for themselves is to grow, make more money. If you make more money, you'll be able to weather the storm. That happens for companies and that happens for individuals. So that's the interesting part. Let's see if Warren Buffett's going to be right when it comes to this recession that we could be going into. And that's going to be, that's going to be a very challenging time for a lot of people as that adjustment happens. Uh, Rob, we are in a very interesting time when it comes to real estate. We are. There's a lot of conversations happening with higher interest rates, uh, slowdown in some of the major markets mm -hmm. like Toronto, Vancouver, prices falling there. Uh, what's happening here in our backyard? You know, what's happening in Calgary? Uh, these are these are questions that are on on the minds of many many uh, mm -hmm. Canadians, especially the ones that are listening to the show. Yeah, well, it's not just the younger generation; it's everyone, right, looking to change or different real estate too. Yeah, so you know, there's there's two groups that I kind of want to ad address mm -hmm. in this. As one is the group of individuals who are transitioning to, or living in retirement. They're looking at right size in their home. They may downsize. They may just go to a, from a two-story to a bungalow, so that may not be cheaper. Um, but they're right sizing their home. And there's another section of uh, of uh, of younger individuals who are we'll call them first-time home buyers. Okay. Those parents are people who listen to the show and watch mm -hmm. the show. So we want to kind of get an understanding of what's happening in the market. But we got to bring our expert in, a real estate expert with the group at Remax First, Chris Audet. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Faisal. Thanks for having me, Rob. So let's talk about the impact right now. We're seeing interest rates going up. We're seeing a lot of media attention on housing prices dropping. Give us an overview of what your view is of what's happening in the Calgary and surrounding area so people can kind of get a grasp of what's, what's reality here. Yeah, and, you know, basically it's a, it's a turbulent and tumultuous time for us right now. Um, the Calgary market specifically has been... Uh, very stale for the past five years. We've seen minor increases. We've seen minor decreases in pricing, uh, but overall, it's been it's been relatively flat for a five-year period. Um, since January uh, of this year, you know, we've seen uh, a roller coaster. You know, we're riding very big highs, um, followed by a lot of economic and government changes. Uh, interest rate changes, which are driving the market back down again. Uh, so we've had high highs, and we've uh, we've come down uh, substantially from that peak that we were seeing in February. However, we're still riding, you know, pretty high as compared to the last the last five years. We're still in a seller's market, uh, which means, uh, you know, on the supply and demand side, um, we've got more demand than we have supply to to fill it. Chris. You know, I guess in the market here, we're seeing a lot of fluctuation too. Uh, will there still be major challenges for those looking for homes, even with prices starting to come down here and drop? Yes and no. Uh, uh, frankly, real estate, uh, particularly real estate in Calgary, is very unique. Um, there's little pockets of opportunities that are all over the place. So um, people can still find bargains and people can still find values depending on what they're looking at and where. Uh, just as an example that the apartment style condo market 
still extremely affordable in Calgary. You know, you're looking at average prices that are, uh, or median prices that are kicking around $250,000. Um, if you look for those same same units in Toronto or Vancouver, you know, you're looking, uh, you're looking three quarters of a million. Uh, so we're still extremely affordable in certain pockets. Other areas, um, luxury homes, estate homes, you know, some still really good opportunities, still a fair bit to choose from. Uh, new construction is filling a lot of that void. Um, so there's, there's still some great opportunities there. But if you're looking at first time homes, uh, starter homes, and into the move up category as well, uh, pricing still extremely high and not a lot of choices out there still. Um, we're not running into anywhere near the competitive offer situation that we were in February when it was just a crazy market, to be frank. Um, but it's, 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 still, it's still hot for a, for a seller out there who's interested in selling their home. And it's still difficult for a buyer, particularly first time home buyers, who are just looking for something to, to fill their needs. So, so Chris, there's been like, a, I think a slap across the face of many first time home buyers and our clients are concerned about this because they want their children to be in a home, have some stability and anchor to a community, so on and so forth. And so the slap across the face in this point in time, housing prices have gone up year over year. Interest rates have gone up year over year. It's now uh, more, uh, sorry, less affordable than it was previously. Um, it requires higher income to qualify. Rob, mm -hmm. you were talking about that this week on on, yeah. on your news post about it costs in Calgary sixteen thousand dollars. Sixteen thousand more, yeah. Yeah, so sixteen thousand more you have to make in income. But the the parents of uh, of, of these individuals are saying, well, maybe I got to chip in more for a bigger down payment so we can afford more. So now there's stress in two households, one trying to get in a house and one trying to get them out of their own house and get, get, them, get them into their own property. Um, with all that stress going on, what do first time home buyers need to do to be ready to buy in this market? Like what's the, what's the tips advice that you could give to them? Yeah, and, and you know, quite frankly, they're the same tips and advice that we would give in pretty much any situation. Um, we find Calgarians to be particularly uh, um, hard and heavy on this is to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, your first home doesn't need to be your end all be all home. Um, you know, if, you're, if your kids are looking at buying their first home, put a little temperament into them. They don't necessarily need all the bells and whistles uh, that you have in your place. Um, giving them some money or, or gifting them some money for their down payment though is definitely going to help substantially it'll help your situation with uh, perhaps getting your adult kids out of their house uh, so you can uh, right size as well um, but it'll also help them with their affordability and their monthly payments the mortgage increases uh, interest rate increases are they're going to keep coming um, you know we're anticipating uh, more increases over the short term perhaps followed by some decreases i think it's important to note though as well where we were at uh, just pre-pandemic, um, we're just a little bit above those prices now. So when we compare the, the recent increase in interest rates, um, largely we're comparing them against six months ago, where we're looking at, you know, 2% range for a, for a five-year fixed. And now we're looking at, you know, kind of more of four and a half to 5% range for a five-year fixed. Um, those numbers will likely be coming back down again to something a little bit more reasonable. Um, a little bit closer to where they were pre-pandemic. So I wouldn't worry too, too much 
um, about long-term sustainability, but the, the, the short-term is where, particularly first-time homebuyers are really, really gonna get hit, hit hard. So exploring your financial situation with your uh, financial advisor, um, exploring where the pockets of good, good buys are with your realtor, and also exploring what the mortgage brokers um, are looking at for their short and long-term, and also what they recommend for short-term are really, really good strategies to go in right now. You, you might be better off with a variable versus a, versus a long-term fixed, um, a five-year fixed, six-year fixed, seven-year fixed. Um, you may be better with, with a longer term, just depending on how much stress you can take with your mortgage payments as well. Really quickly, we have about a minute left before we have to go to commercial break. For those who are right-sizing their homes, selling a, a larger valued property, let's say 750 plus, uh, and, and looking for another property, 750,000 and more, uh, you're buying and selling at the same time. It may not be as easy because of the supply issue. How do you, what's the advice for those individuals who are looking at switching homes at this in this kind of market? Yeah, and I, I would say two of the most important things are get prepared on both sides uh, before you launch. Um, like I said, competitive offers are still happening in this market. We're still in a seller's market, uh, so you're still stronger on your sales side. If you are doing a lateral move where you're looking at perhaps downsizing, but looking at something a little bit nicer, still in the same price point, uh, then you're, you know, if you're selling for more and you're buying for more, you're going to come out even. Uh, if you're looking at downsizing in price as well, um, this higher market that we're still in means you might want to make a move sooner rather than later. If you're looking at bumping up your price point, you might be advised to actually hold off a little bit until the corrections have stabilized a little bit more. Uh, get a little bit less for the house that you're in now, but pay even less for the higher priced home that you're moving into down the road. Great advice, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today on and your tips to those buyers and sellers out there. We've been joined by Chris Audet, a real estate expert with the group at Remax First. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, gentlemen. Faisal, good question for you. Okay. If you could delete yourself from the internet, would you? <laughs> I would delete any pictures of, of myself and Dave Popwich. <laughs> Everything else I'm okay with, just being around him kind of. I don't well, want it on the internet. <laughs> maybe some old incriminating, who knows, None. right? None. It's, it's, knows, but. <laughs> Not worried about any of that stuff. But it's interesting because, you know, we saw a recent survey that came out. They're saying that, you know, uh, one third of Canadians want to delete themselves from the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, an I think, a very high number considering the, the time of, that we're in with the, te the technology and everything. How do right. you, how do you like live off the internet grid? Well, and how would you ever do that? And we, we don't know the answer. So let's go to a specialist. We are with Adrianus Warmanhoven, defense strategist with NordVPN. Thanks for joining us today, Adrianus. Thank you for having me. So you saw these, these sur you heard about the survey. People kind of want to, at least a third of Canadians, according to the survey, want to delete themselves um, from the internet. How about we first do an overview of this survey and your thoughts about Canadians wanting to delete themselves from the internet? Well, one part of the survey was that uh, we wanted to know if people were comfortable with their data being on the internet um, and what different types of data on the internet they were comfortable with. And we found out that a lot of people were worried a bit about uh, their financial data, but that's globally uh, so. But they're also um, uncomfortable with social media pictures, um, things they have been uh, saying in, in the 
their past, those kind of things. And also um, the uncanny feeling that you might have forgotten something, which is basically the data at some webshop you only visit once or twice uh, in a lifetime and you never visit back. But your data is still there. It, it doesn't decay or it doesn't disappear automatically. So a lot of people felt uncomfortable about this kind of oil spill of their identity being bigger and bigger on the internet. And this is what the survey was about. And we found out that, uh, well, one third of the Canadians would rather like to delete that uh, information, delete themselves, their identity from that. So just for, just for clarity, I mean, so they want to delete the information off the internet. They don't want to have themselves off the internet. No, if you just want to be off the internet, you just switch off uh, and, and go outside. That that's easy. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's really the information. Uh, uh, and, and, and nowadays, basically, your digital persona is you. Whenever you uh, interact with, uh, like, government or a shop or anything like that, you might feel you're interacting, but it's actually only your digital information, your digital persona, which they are interacting with, and. In the online world, which is making a bigger uh, impact nowadays than, than it used to be, um, your digital persona is you. And th this is kind of the, the crux when we say uh, they want to delete themselves, their digital persona from the internet. So that being said, is there ways to actually start doing this? If you Google yourself and, and see yourself, is there ways to start actually removing that? Yes, the, the, there's, there's a couple of ways that you can do it. The first I would recommend is, is just send a uh, deletion request. Most of the big sites like Facebook and Google uh, and Amazon, they have these um, special um, provisions where you can just ask, please delete everything you know about me. And it, it, it's, it's hard to find, but if you just Google uh, uh, delete my data, there's actually a site called delete my data, um, you can find the ways where you in this request and then they will tell you what's going on and this is just, you get to review the data before you can download the data so you have a copy of it yourself or for a backup um, so this is the first way the second one for the small uh, mom and pop uh, kind of shops um, you really have to visit them and, and delete your account um, this is one thing um, which is a bit more cumbersome but my advice would for these things would be get together with a group of friends, make an evening out of it, um, have some snacks ready and just help each other because some people might know uh, how it works in one side, somebody might know how it works in another side. This is something which is really effective. Most people struggle because they're trying to do this all on their own. And um, getting together, it really helps. Um, there's also uh, ways by law you can really request by Google to even uh, disappear from search results. Uh, you have the right to be forgotten mm. and, and you really should exercise that, that kind of uh, uh, right. Uh, the other thing is, of course, um, if you don't want to be as radical as that uh, by deleting everything, you could also start by making your social media uh, profiles private. There's actually, if you go to your account, this, I can say this generically because this works on, on all of the social media, you go to your account uh, page, there will, there will be settings for privacy and you can switch it on and off saying only my friends can see this, this will already help because if you make it private, a search engine cannot index it. It will not index it. So in Google, you're already away. Um, and these kind of things, really you should start doing and, and make a habit out of 
integrating this digital persona into your life. This will also help. Get a feeling for it. Um, and it would, what I mean with that is, uh, try to understand who am I in this uh, social media site. And then you look at this, your account profile and you go with friends and you talk about this. Don't, don't do it all on your own. Adrianus, when you look at, um, there's going to be a bunch of people who are listening to this, watching this, not concerned until they heard this piece and go, oh, maybe I should start deleting and getting, becoming more private or getting off the internet, at least my information. I understand that there's exposure. When there's exposure, there's risk. But in, in, in the real world, what kind of risk do people really have? How bad does it really get for people? Because there's a small percentage whose identity is stolen. There's a small percentage whose financial information has been used. There's a small percentage whose credit has been used. But that's not the lion's share. Is this a big of a problem as we, we hear about it because we hear the extreme cases? Or is this the norm? Everybody is being um, exposed, therefore have risk, and therefore are going to have something happen to them, or is this, it could happen to them? At the moment, I would say the risk is, is about as big as crossing the street. Everybody has the same risk of being hit by a, a random car. The reason why we're talking about this is because it's really widespread and the internet is large numbers. It's like almost everybody on the planet. So even a small percentage uh, of this happening is large numbers. Um, but the thing to understand is that if you are uh, cautious, then the risk can be managed by, by just being cautious about what's being sent to you. Your um, information about your debit card or, do or credit card, that is a risk if you go to non-reputable sites or one-off sites or shady sites. But again, this is like going into a dark alley in a city you don't know. If you stay with the uh, bigger companies like Facebook, Meta, uh, uh, Google, whatever, um, the risk is, is limited. Um, however, uh, it's still growing. So everything you have now on the internet might be used, maybe not today, maybe not next year, but in a couple of years. So at least some diligence and, and, and some understanding will help you uh, to avoid really big pitfalls in the future. Adrianus, we have about a minute left to go before we have to go to commercial break. So your two tips that you'd give to our viewers and listeners on how to protect themselves in this digital world that we're in. Well, obviously one would be uh, use a VPN and I can explain why. Um, if I see you peeling potatoes, um, I might not know what dish you're cooking, but I know you're going to eat potatoes. This is the same if you go to a banking site, an attacker might see that and they know which bank you are, so they know which phishing uh, um, mail to send you. So use a VPN, that's part one. The other one is forget about passwords with complexity, use past phrases like sentences from a poem, a song or a book that you really love, because the longer a password is or past phrase is, the, it, the more difficult it is uh, to hack. So, and it's also easier to remember because if it's from a song or a poem you like, you remember it. The great tips from Adrianus. Warmenhoven, defense strategist at NordVPN. Uh, this is something that's going to keep on coming up mm -hmm. in the future, as, as Adrianus was saying. I uh, wa want to say thank you so much, Adrianus, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Rob, we've had a pretty good show today when it comes to the housing market, protecting yourself off the internet. We talked earlier in the show about a potential recession and the, the jobs numbers. You know, as people progress in their retirement, they're going through their journey 
they come across a point in their time if they have a recreational property mm -hmm. that they may have to sell it to fund the cash flow needs of their retirement. And on the second spot, people might have to sell their principal residence mm -hmm. because of a health issue or they need to right size their home. So this is a very interesting time. We've been having conversations with a bunch of clients this week about these two types of issues. Yep. Let's start off from your perspective. You've been talking to clients about um, home ownership, selling a home to fund your retirement. What's been the biggest concern or fear of those individuals? Yeah, the, the conversations, and I think that the family dilemmas that people are having are they love their secondary property, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a lifestyle property, yeah, right? Part of their family, part of their retirement that they don't want to give up on. So the dilemma is we, we feel like we may have to, yeah. but, but when? And if it is a lifestyle property that's not an income property, then... It's a lifestyle cost. It's an expense. That's it. And it's interesting because that's where a lot, of, a lot of individuals who have recreational property or second homes are wondering when do they have to sell. Mm -hmm. Now, the first step to understand that is building your retirement plan. And in your retirement plan, one of two things will come up. You can continue your lifestyle expenses for the rest of your life. Or number two, you may have to, or you probably will have to dispose mm -hmm. of that property at some time in the future. For the ones who have their retirement plan intact, where it does not require them to dispose of property, then it becomes a lifestyle choice of when you no longer want to live in that property. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because of health or mobility. Sometimes frustration. A lot of people have been talking to us, I want to sell my property. Why? I hate going to Pearson Airport. Right. Right. And that's just an emotional viewpoint today. But at some point, they might say, I can't. Physically can't go. Right. Your lifestyle has changed. And there's two, there's two segments, too. So a lot of the conversations I was having with uh, Canadian properties. Yeah. Right? So a property in Kelowna or, or in Canada somewhere. And a lot of the ones that you were having were international properties. International. So... If you can't go across the border from a health perspective, mm -hmm. health insurance, all that stuff, that's a lifestyle change. The second part of it is some people have to sell their recreational property because they need the cash. In your retirement plan, it should identify plus or minus one or two years of when you need to sell. Mm -hmm. And that conversation should not happen the week before you have to sell. <laughs> That conversation needs to happen when five years in advance, right. some recreational properties don't sell on demand. They take time. So you have to give it time to, to liquidate. And it gives the, uh, a family a timeline too to enjoy if they're going to. Yeah. That's the conversations I have. If, if this works into your plan and this is 10 years, then, then you know then you know what to do for the you next know. 10 years. That's it. I've had conversations with clients where we have to talk to them about their spending has been higher than what they planned for. And so we do a refresh of their plan, their retirement plan, and their spending is higher because of healthcare costs. Mm. Okay? So let me give some examples. Let's say you're living, your day-to-day -day living expenses lifestyles, four or $5,000 a month. Mm -hmm. 
insert home care, because most Canadians want to age in their home. Insert home care and the hourly rate to have all that care, companionship, transportation, X other work that you get done around the house costs more than if you were to sell your property and go into assisted living. Right. So now you have to do a retirement plan on with that higher expense, how long will your savings last until you're forced to sell? Mm -hmm. And when you're forced to sell, you can't do it the week before. For two reasons. One, the market. Who knows how the, how the housing market will be the week before you need to sell. And number two, your health. How easy is it to just pack up and move into a, an assisted living or a long-term care facility? Well, you're right. And aging in place, right? So aging in place and staying in your house, there's a lot more, let's say, dynamic situations that could happen cost-wise. Correct. Where you have the cost of the house and we don't know the actual in-care cost that could need if you wanted to stay as long as possible. There's the breaking point. So I'll give the example of what we worked on. This family, this individual, she's by herself. $5,000 a month to live off of on her regular expenses and her lifestyle. Now she, she has health concerns and issues that require more and more care for her. Okay. When we, when we estimated the cost for care on top of her lifestyle costs, it worked out to being about eight or $9,000 a month. Mm. So almost double. So that's a shock. That's number one. Number two, where the heck's the money going to come from? Mm -hmm. How long will this money last me? And if I say five, six years, and she comes back and saying, uh-oh, that's mm. all I have? It's good to know you have that much time. Yep. But then what do you do after that? What's the plan? Because if you wait till the, till the money's run out, or close to, then you're scrambling. Mm -hmm. And what if you can't get into an assisted care? Uh, what if, what if, what if, all those issues that pop up, just plan. A health plan is not planning for an unhealthy situation. A health plan is not planning that you're going to need those, those additional services. A health plan is similar to a fire alarm. In the event something's wrong, you can pull the fire alarm and we all know how to get out of the building and go to a place of safety. Mm -hmm. We have a plan. That's why we do fire drills. <laughs> well, it's what's true. the fire drill in your health plan? That's the purpose of building a health plan. What happens if? Yep. We know what to do, where to go, who we're hiring, all that stuff is planned in advance. And that just gives you that comfort. No one worries about if we have a fire alarm on this in this building. Mm -hmm. We assume it's done. It's part of code. Shouldn't that be part of your retirement code? But it's the same as planning, as as we plan, right? As testing a portfolio through all scenarios. Correct. You test your health situation. Correct. For all scenarios or worst case scenario. Yeah, worst case. So how if I had to increase my income to have that health care taken care of in my own home? What's the most I can take out without mm -hmm. disposing of the asset I'm living in? And, and there's also an inflection point that in our example, this client had a $5,000 a month lifestyle cost, but had an eight dollars to $9,000 total cost with healthcare. Do they go into assisted living mm -hmm. sooner? And do you do it for the money or you do it for your quality of life? Now, you know, we've always said go for quality of life, but that's not for us to decide. That's for the individual to make that decision. Right. And had this client not known that, that those are the decisions in front of them,
who knows what she would have decided or who knows if what she would have done. So I think the plan in advance is important no matter what the disposition of your asset are. If it's recreational property because you no longer can do that because of your, as you've aged but you don't have to sell it, you can pass it on to family members if you want to. Or if you have to sell your recreational property because you need the money for your retirement or you have to sell your principal residence because right. you need the money for your retirement. <laughs> Whatever it may be, the one thing is get the plan in order. Right. Great family conversations too. Great family. And don't be shy of having those conversations. It's, it's challenging because you're actually admitting that you're aging. Right. It's, and that you have, may have health concerns or that you do have health concerns and you need to be dependent on something. And your vision of your future, like selling your home, was not part of, part of the plan. And all of a sudden, it is now. So having those conversations is great. And this is why we do these seminars every single month. This is why we say, let's have these conversations with you first, so then you can have your conversation with your family or have us work with your family to have mm -hmm. these conversations together. So how do you plan for that, that retirement on every concern, a conventional retirement and a, a, a retirement that you haven't planned for? We're gonna talk about that at our upcoming seminar, Rob. Yeah, join us Tuesday, August 16th, 7 p.m. This will be live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. I want to thank you for joining us on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. But reminder that you can access all past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com or get them delivered directly to your searching. All you have to do by search for More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. On behalf of Rob, myself, Faisal, have a great weekend. You're listening to More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.